about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints through Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uniformed brothers about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Good evening, great to be with you. My name is Matt, one of the ministers here. Uh, Tonight we are starting a new series entitled Compelled. We're looking at the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, which if you were with us last year when we looked at 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians is vastly different. 1 Corinthians feels very structured, 2 Corinthians not so much. 1 Corinthians seems about events and issues, 2 Corinthians is very psychological and impassioned. What's happening in 2 Corinthians is that Paul is forced into a defense of his life and ministry. He's being called out by the Corinthians as an imposter. And so he has, to def- he has to defend who he is and what he is about and how it is possible that he could be a messenger of Almighty God. How about I pray as we think about that? Our Father Lord, you are generous and good and your scripture is clear and beautiful. And Father, we pray as we consider it tonight that we would see what it is that you long for us in the troubles of life. Comfort us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, it's recently been revealed to me uh, this Sydney Sider's deep fascination with the spiritual experience of bathrooms. Now, I walked into this temple, they call it Reese, and 
you're handed as you walk into this showroom uh, this pamphlet called The Happiness Project, and it has that girl there. That's how you look, right, in your bathtub with lipstick and well-made hair and the, everything floating around you, right? It's kind of some sort of transcendent experience of life and reality. And as you kind of get through this spiritual booklet, you learn about how your bathroom can be transformed into something that changes you. Uh, one part of it reads, water transforms us. Connecting us back to nature, it brings about change, reaching beyond the physical. Water enhances our emotional well-being, the power to calm, to restore, to rejuvenate. Soft swells of water will send you on your way. A cleansing ritual that clears the mind and initiates new beginnings. You get the layers right. There's the, I need to get this grime off me layer. Then there's the, oh, this water's quite nice and relaxing layer. Then there's, if we get the Italian tapware and the Spanish tile, we might experience rebirth, right? <laughs> there's kind of layers here. And Sydney is obsessed with carving out spaces that bring some sort of spiritual comfort. What fascinates me about Reese is how deep and spiritual everything is and sounds. And that's a reality of our culture at the moment. We are desperate comfort seekers. And it's not just bathrooms we use. We use Netflix and we stream. We use alcohol. We use travel. There is a whole realm of things we structure and we take hold of to find comfort. But the reality of all these things And the reality of where our culture is at the moment is really that all these things are what I would like to call anesthetics. What they are designed to do is numb us from pain. They're the things we turn to when we can't deal with the day we've had, and so we try to stop feeling it. When we can't deal with the relationships we see around us, where we stream some relationships we think we can handle, Or when we're not really sure and we're at the edge of life, we just try and tune out of the difficulty rather than deal with it. This is where we're at as a culture, and the comfort we seek leaves us feeling anxious and hollow. Now, don't hear me hating on Netflix or bathrooms. I like both things. Uh, But there is that moment, isn't there? When relaxation turns into the moment where you're trying to forget something. When you're not just being somewhere to be still, but you're on the run from something. You all know those moments, right? That moment when the good things of life become the things that we are seeking to find consolation and comfort from. I think as we start the book of 2 Corinthians tonight, and we read this opening bit from Paul, we learn something we desperately need to know about comfort. And that is that what we seek in the anesthetics of our culture is really to be found at the foot of a compassionate Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think God is calling us tonight to to lay down our anesthetics. And in, in the mess of our lives at times, draw comfort from Him instead. So, three things we're going to look at. Why do we need comfort? Where does it come from? How do you get it? Right? Fairly prescriptive. We're okay. 
First of all, why do we need comfort? And I don't even maybe need to answer that for you. You might be in something right now and you're like, well, let me tell you, man, let me tell you some stories. But I think the simple reality is that life is full of trouble. Paul's life is. He mentions it in verse 4. The God who comforts us in all our troubles. And then he repeats that word a few times through the passage. The word trouble he uses is a word for feeling like things are pressing in on you. Of constriction. Of a lack of space. Of an internal pressure that comes with it. Like life is closing in around you. And pressing in on your very self. Quite deep trouble is he describing. Now, Paul, in case you don't know, you've never heard of Paul, uh, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, his life was a mess at times. And you learn this a bit later in 2 Corinthians in chapter 11, which we'll get to a bit later. But in that, uh, he actually lists the various troubles he faced. Now, you ready for this? Because he's faced everything. He describes in chapter 11, verse 25, how he's received uh, three times, five times the lashes, 40 minus one. He's been beaten with rods and almost stoned to death. Not only that, but he has faced natural danger, been shipwrecked three times, spent a night and a day in open sea. He's been robbed on the road by bandits, by friends and by foes, by Jews and by non-Jews. He's gone through deprivation where he's gone with sleepless nights and without food and without water. And even once it says he got naked. I don't know when that happened, but you know, that's in there. And at the bottom of this list, which is supposed to highlight it as the biggest concern of all, he describes a crippling, constant, deep, fierce anxiety. as always with him. It's about the church around the world. And how it is. And so you you see from this list that really Paul has had the full gamut of disasters just flow over his life. Because life is full of trouble. And Paul has experienced that. It's in fact the trouble that Paul experiences in life that the Corinthians have an issue with. Paul's life looked so pathetic at times. And so uh, just messy that the Corinthians were questioning whether he really could be a messenger from God, which is what he claimed to be. It's what an apostle is, sent from God. They looked at his life and said, you cannot be the real deal. Look at your life. But the reality that Paul knew, and what he says a little bit here in his defense that he will expand later, is that the life of faith is no less full of trouble. Just because you start believing in Jesus doesn't stop the disasters flowing over life. And it's almost like he turns back to the Corinthians and says, my suffering doesn't make me illegitimate. It actually makes me legitimate. You see what he says? Uh, God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. We suffer for your sake. He goes on to say in verse 6, if we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Paul says, do you know why I suffer? For you. That you might know the gospel. 
that when I get comforted and I understand who God is in the mess of life, I can hand the same understanding to you. You see, I, Paul says, I am like the Lord Jesus who suffers on behalf of others. My life doesn't look like a mess. My life looks like His who suffered on our behalf for our forgiveness and for our salvation. He goes uh, even as far to say in verse 5 that the sufferings of Christ himself are flowing into his life. What you see, he says to the Corinthians, is not a pathetic life, but the signs of the Messiah on my body. Why do we need comfort? Because life is full of trouble. And you know, in Paul's case, add faith into the mix and the trouble just got more intense, deeper, and more painful. And so maybe the first thing we learn from this is that there isn't any trouble that falls upon us in life that makes us illegitimate believers. You know, you can't be in something and be like, well, God obviously doesn't like my Christianness. He doesn't like my faith. Look at my life. It's a mess. There is no suffering that makes a Christian illegitimate because that is to resemble the Messiah himself. And Paul fully expects that the Corinthians will suffer in life as he has. He expects his life to be an example of endurance in verse 6, um, of the same sufferings we suffer as they suffer them. And what we learn from this is that our life of faith may be full of trouble. Faith doesn't get rid of disaster. Here's what faith gives us, though, that Paul makes clear here. Paul is so clear that his suffering is some way intermingled with his Messiah. The sufferings of the Messiah flowing into his life. And in the same way, I think we can say that in the midst of our life of faith, when we suffer, we never suffer alone. We always suffer with our Messiah, in connection with our Messiah, with the suffering Lord Jesus himself. And if you are in something tonight, trouble up to your neck, and you're not sure what to do, let me tell you, you are not alone. That your faith won't save you from your disaster, but it does mean your Messiah is with you. So why do we need comfort? Life is full of trouble, especially the life of faith. But where do we find comfort? And what's amazing about this passage for me is that Paul, in the midst of a messy life, opens with praise. Verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Paul says, you know, when life has pressed in on me, when I've been a ship in need of a harbor, I have found the heavenly Father of the Lord Jesus always full of compassion, always full of mercy toward me, and overflowing with comfort. He says there is one place where weary, broken souls can go, and it is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's quite incredible what he says, because he says that God, his Father, comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble. Now, you, you, knew, you saw the list before, right? The lashings, the beatings, the, the nakedness, 
the anxiety, right? The full list of things he's been through. And yet he says, no matter what I have walked through, the comfort of God has been enough. So much so that what I've experienced, I can give to anyone, no matter what they've been in. Now, I think this is marvelous news for us, friends. Because it, does, it means that whatever we face in life, the comfort that our Father can provide is always bigger. Now, you might be thinking, but Matt, you don't know my story. You don't know the trouble in my life. You don't know how pressed in I feel. I don't. It's true. But I know Paul's life and the full gamut of disaster that the comfort of the Father was able to settle. And I think on the basis of that, I can say to you that his comfort can be enough in whatever you face, in whatever you have before you. And I think as, as Paul talks about comfort here, he's really picking up the words from Isaiah. That's why we read Isaiah 40 before. In the back half of Isaiah, comfort is a word that is repeated a lot, alongside the word compassion sometimes as well, and compassion runs through those words. Uh, Isaiah 40 starts with, comfort, comfort my people. And then describes this mighty God who's going to come in such an incredible act of deliverance that at the end of the chapter, people who are weary will will gain new strength. And people who put their hope in the deliverance of God will find energy to continue. I think Paul has the same thing in mind. That what has happened in the Lord Jesus is the great act of deliverance that Isaiah pointed forward to. And in light of that great act of deliverance, we can find endurance in anything in life. It is comfort enough for every circumstance. There is nothing that the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, there is nothing that that death and resurrection cannot help and console in some way and build endurance through. That's a remarkable claim, don't you think? And I think the reality here is that our problem with this claim is actually uh, because we don't understand the depth of our own restlessness. And how failed our attempts at anesthetic really are. Now, this got driven home to me last year by my lovely wife, Cass. Um, Cass and I travel together, obviously, uh, on holidays. And we are like an all-in kind of couple. Like, we we go to a place and we think we might never be here again. So we need to touch everything, right? See everything, hear everything, taste everything. Now, that leads to a lot of stress. And a little bit of, you know. And so uh, we have moments uh, along that. Um, but Cass is also very good at, at talking to me straight when I need it most. And we're on this trip, uh, and I was really stressed. Uh, and Cass turned to me. Uh, this was one of those moments where she was my own personal prophet. And she said, Matt, you are so restless. I mean, you plan these things, you think about them down to the detail, and yet you're here and you have no peace. What's with that? And that was a really important moment for me because it it made me realize that actually I was 
trying the anesthetic at this point on this traveling trip, that this was about running away from things that were happening. And what was happening, what was crashing down in that moment, was that this was doing nothing to console what was happening in my heart and in my life. Because the restlessness of my spirit in the depth of the troubles of life needs so much more than Netflix and holidays. Needs so much more that only God can feel. Augustine said it best when he said, God, you've formed us for yourself and our hearts, they are restless until they find their rest in you. And it is only the death and resurrection of Jesus that actually brings consolation in real difficulty in a way that nothing else can. There is one harbor for restless souls and it is the father of all comfort and compassion. So, how do you get it? How do you experience this as Paul does? In his life. Well, what's helpful here is at the back bit of this passage, we get a little case study. I wonder if you noticed that. Paul dives into a circumstance quite obliquely, but he gives us enough details to help us out. He describes a situation in Asia where he says, We were under, in verse 8, great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life, right? You, you've heard the list, the rods, the nakedness. We've, got, we've been through this a couple of times already. This was a place where he then, I can't get through this. I'm on the edge of myself here. To the point where he actually thought in verse 9, indeed in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. And what that's meaning is, we thought we were going to die. This was it. This, is, this was end game for us. Our last breaths, our last moment, our last play on this and in this life. You see, there's not much that can comfort you in a moment like that. There's really only one thing that can. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And what Paul describes as the God who raises the dead. You see, in the face of death, martyrs have no hope but that their God can rise them back to life again. And Paul, in the depth of this situation, comes to the realization that the only hope he has is the God of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when he's delivered out of that circumstance in verse 10, he says, On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. You see what's happened to Paul here? He's walked into some deep trouble and he walks out with his eyes on his God. Because the secret to comfort in the end is not on your trouble ending. You don't hope for the end of the illness, of the issue, of the thing. Comfort is hoping in the promises of God. In his ultimate deliverance. In his ultimate new beginning in His forgiveness of sins, in the resurrection that He gives. It's in hoping in Him, in spite of all things, that we find comfort. And it is a hope that is one size fits all for every situation and every place. 
It's just that we don't look for it. So practically, what, is, what does this look like? I think there's three quick things I want to tell you about how this works in practice. The first is, uh, and I think the trick to this, is that in the trouble that you're in, you have to hold it up to the light of the gospel and see what shines on it. Because no matter what you're facing, what's happened in the Lord Jesus Christ can speak to it and bring comfort to it. It's just that you need to look and think about it. I mean, if you're stuck in a job that is unfulfilling and desperately bad, and you are going nowhere, you're never going to receive the title and the accolade that you deserve, you know, the gospel, when you shine that up to it, says, you know what, Jesus has won you a better name than any man can give you, a better title a better security, a better benefit. And you might not have that, but you got him. Or say you have an illness that's literally draining the life out of you and you can't even enjoy this world anymore. Well, he is a God who raises the dead back into this world to experience it fuller and better and more beautiful than you ever have known. How about those relationships that are impossible to persevere with? Well, how about the Lord Jesus who persevered with you and gave his blood for your sake. Maybe you are desperately alone tonight. And yet the cross and the resurrection promises you his presence always. You are never alone. You see, the gospel, when when you hide up the troubles of life to it, something always strikes it true. And there is always comfort, overflowing. But it has to be sought out. But the second thing I think is, and this is what my, I call my comfort reflex, uh, this is the thing you do when you get home at the end of a day and you're really over it and you're pushed to the edge of yourself, right? You know those moments. We all have them. That's the moment where you're the Netflix or the thing or the other thing. You're ready to seek comfort in something. Not relaxation, remember? Comfort. You know what I do in those moments? I pray verse 3. I say, God, my day has been so bad. <laughs> And I really need some comfort. And I think I'm going here, but I want to go to you. God of all compassion and God of all comfort, bring me comfort from Jesus instead. It's in that moment that you, when you choose him over the anesthetic, that things start to change. But the third thing, and this kind of runs through this whole passage, is how really for Paul, and I don't even understand how he sees this, but in the midst of his suffering, his eye is always on others. Did you notice that? He considers his suffering to be for others, which it really is as an apostle. He is suffering uh, like Jesus on behalf of others. And uh, he considers what he learns in the troubles of life as a gift he's been given to hand away to others. That comfort should overflow from him, like a cascade down to others. And the reality of comfort is it's something that a community does together, and we actually need each other, and the darkness we've walked through, and the vision we have of the hope of God, and we need to speak it into each other's hearts when we can't preach it to our own. That there is a God who brings comfort in all of life. We ought to speak it to each other. So hold it up to the gospel light get the reflex, and speak it to each other. But as we conclude, the reality is that we are so used to the anesthetic, right? It is so hard to change. I think what we need to realize uh, is the cost of the comfort. 
You know, the Lord Jesus Christ was infinitely comfortable. He had no worries or anxieties or fears or pain or illness. And yet he came down from heaven and experienced enemies, cursing, bitterness, death. The ultimate discomfort on the cross bearing our sin that we might gain his comfort forever. It's to the extent that your heart knows that the comfort won for it came at the cost of the Lord Jesus and that he has secured it for you. See, to the extent that your heart knows that, that you'll start turning to your Father for comfort. Let's pray. Our oh, Father, we are restless souls in all kinds of lives this evening. Some of them are with trouble up to our necks. And don't even know what to do. Father, for them, show them that you are in there with them and that their suffering doesn't mean that they are any less legitimate members of your body and that you suffered in this world as they did. Father, for those who have restless hearts, who are addicted to an anesthetic, Father, they're crying out for the better comfort that you have. And by your Spirit, Father, show them your Son. Father, break our habitual dependence on the anesthetics of our culture, we pray. And help us instead find endurance through the hope of the gospel, for the glory of the Lord Jesus. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.